as I mentioned, we're going to continue look, we're looking at worship today. And uh, this was a, a difficult sermon in some senses to kind of put my arms around, kind of put my mind around. Um, I would... I much rather, my preference is to preach through books of the Bible, and we're going to start that again in, in January. These series can be difficult for me just with, I think, attention issues and just trying to pick one passage and run with it. it, it these don't always lend themselves to that, and, and just trying to get my mind around and pick a path. Like, like a kid in a candy store sometimes, it's hard to choose a, a direction when I'm just kind of left up to myself to, to look there and... Uh, but I want to talk today about, we've been looking at, at worship and we've been looking at what worship is. And today I want to look at what it's not. Sometimes, sometimes, it's, sometimes it's easier to diagnose things when you look at what they're not, when you look at the wrong. When you can evaluate, I, I don't mean I don't know what it is exactly, but, but let's look at what it's not. And I want to diagnose, I want to, in, in God's grace, diagnose areas of our lives that maybe our worship falls short. Maybe our worship is in vain. The, the, real, the real possibility is, again, that, 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 not, that we could gather week after week, month after month, year after year, and it be in vain. That the, the reality is that, that you know, we looked last week at whole life worship and that worship is to be a whole life experience, that all of our life is to be done in worship. We, we looked at the first week, at, we said it was fueled by redemption and then we talked about it being a response to God. The, the challenge is not just anything will do when it comes to worship. In order for, in order for this to be worship, in order for you to worship... It's going to require more than you just showing up. More, more than just going through the motions. That, that God rejects, and we'll see passages, strong passages, that there, there is worship that God rejects. That, that God even hates. That's the, that's the startling reality. Why? Because, because our God is worthy of so much more. And again, fueled by redemption. I mean, you think about, you think about the reality that... I, I, suppose I had... Suppose uh, you know, my, my grandfather, was, he, he was an alcoholic and, and, and smoked and did tremendous damage to his body and had to have... It, it wreaked havoc on his body, and he ended up dying because of that. But suppose that he had received a, a, a liver transplant because of the danger that he had done, and suppose after that he went back to doing the same things that had got him into trouble. How do you think the person that gave him that liver would feel? You, you'd look at him, and, and suppose he, you'd look at him and you say it was vain. It's worthless. It's pointless. If he didn't live, if he didn't, if he didn't go out saying, you know, I've been redeemed by this, by this lung, if you will, or this liver. And, and there's a way, the reality is, unfortunately for us, even as believers, our worship can be in vain. And you see on your handout, worship, the main point, worship is in vain and not acceptable to God when it is not completely God-centered. When it's not completely God-centered. When, when, you're, when, when you're here for other reasons other than God. Again, the de I, I looked up the, the definition of of vain, it, it means this, not achieving the desired outcome. Other definitions were futile, unsuccessful, lacking substance or worth, hollow, fruitless. 
The reality is, even for us believers, that today could be vain. Meaning, your worship today did not achieve the desired outcome. It did not make much of our great God. It did not make much of our redemption. It was hollow. The reality is, is what, what we're doing here right now, if we're not careful, could be a waste of time. The, the even stronger reality is it could, in some ways, move us backwards in our relationship to the Lord in the sense that it could continue to harden your heart to think that God is honored by half-heartedness. That, that's even the stronger reality. That week after week, you, that we come in here emotionless, our minds are other places, our hearts are other places, we're just doing it because we've always done it. And when we do that over time, it hardens our heart. We become more and more and more seared. Our consciences become more and more hardened and seared. That can happen in our homes, in our marriages, it can happen at work, it can happen here in our worship. How seriously, how seriously do we take what we're doing here this morning? How seriously do we, do we look at what happens here on Sunday mornings? Believers stopping everything else, setting aside everything else, coming together corporately to worship our great God. To make a statement about the worth and the and the worthiness of our great God. Even if, even if I asked the question this morning, why are you here? If you had a blank piece of paper and I said, I want you to be as honest as you can be, why are you here today? How would you answer that? Are you here out of habit? Are you here because your parents made you? You're here because you, you might wonder what other people are going to think about you, your friends, if you don't come. You're here because you didn't have a choice, maybe. Why are you here? Or are you here to further your walk? Are you here to be encouraged? Are you here to just make a statement about how great our God is? Why are you here? The, the answer is this. We've gathered this morning. The, the reason we've gathered is God. We're here to make much of our great God. We're not here necessarily to get. We're here to, 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 make, to make known the greatness of our God. It's like Psalm 42.1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. Is that us this morning? Are you here because you are panting for God, you want, to, you want to know more of God, you want to make much of God. Are you here because you look forward to worshiping with your brothers and sisters in Christ and corporately, collectively, making much of God? My, my prayer is that when we gather, we are here because we want more of God. We want to make much of God. We want to know Him better. We want to make Him known better. Whether it's sermons, songs, prayer, offering, whatever it is, they're all seen as a means of making much of God. Why? So that God would be glorified in us. That would be the ultimate goal. But unfortunately, worship can go wrong, and it can be subtle, and it can be not so subtle. That's the dangerousness. That, that we can meet week after week, and, and it'd be vain. So that, that's what I want to caution us today with. That's what I want to diagnose today. What, what, is, what are some symptoms of vain worship? That we can ask ourselves hard questions in our own lives. That the Spirit of God in us, the Holy Spirit, can, can evaluate our lives. Part, part of the gift of the Spirit is to convict And, and, and maybe, maybe, that's the, maybe that's the point today. I don't know. But, but I pray that when we gather, it would be about making much of God before a watching world, but, but also that we would be satisfied in God alone, that our, that our hearts and minds would be moved to a God-centeredness.
So let, let's look just throughout the Bible at some examples of, of vain worship and when worship was unacceptable to God. And, and again, allow the Spirit to diagnose these in our own hearts. Ask ourselves these hard questions. I don't want you thinking about other people. I don't want you thinking, I hope such and such is listening to this sermon. I hope all of us are listening to this sermon. Because all of us, all of us can fall into that trap of vain worship. Of just going through the motions. Again, not only for worship, but that can be in our marriages, in our parenting, in our jobs. And depending on where we are, might, might we be where David said in Psalm 51, Restore, Lord, forgive me for my iniquity, my trespass, my sin. Create in me a clean heart and do this. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So, so, so let's look and diagnose vain worship. Worship is in vain, you see it there in your handout, when our hearts are more focused on self rather than centered on making much of God through our worship. Hearts. Where's your heart today? I was reminded even this morning as we were singing of Revelation 2.4. John lists all these great things that this church had done and he says, but I have this one thing against you. And he says, you've lost your first love. Your hearts aren't in it. Turn, turn with me to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, and, and listen to what Jesus says about, about the Pharisees. Very outwardly, externally religious group of people. Did everything right externally. But look at what, look at what he says in Matthew 15, verses 8 through 10. Start, and even start in verse 7. He, he, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophecy. He's quoting Isaiah 29, 13 here. And he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Look, they, honor, they, they gave great honor to God with their lips, but listen, their hearts were far from Him. One of the greatest traps that, that I think we can fall in as Christians is externally. Listen, in our own self-righteousness, in our effort, we can externally be quote-unquote good people. We can avoid, we can make Christianity the avoidance of just some major sins and we can look real good on the outside and we can go through the motions and we can know some lingo all the while our hearts are far from God. All the while God is not supreme. And it's interesting here in, in verses 8 and 9 Jesus makes a very, he teaches us here the parallel between, he says in verse 8, this people honors me with their, they honor me. And in verse 9, he talks about worshiping me. And the essence of worship, he says, is basically honoring God. It doesn't mean that we make God honorable. We're not improving on God. He's perfect. But you see on your handout, honoring or worshiping God is recognizing this honor. It's feeling the worth and the weight of this honor. It's ascribing to Him the honor that He alone is due. You're not making Him worthy. You're recognizing that He is worthy. God isn't loving because He does loving things. He does loving things because first and foremost, He's loving. These things flow from His, from his righteous character, from His perfect character. And in worship, what we're doing is we're... A, we're recognizing the awesomeness of God. So listen to Psalm 96, verse 6 and 8. Psalm 96, verses 6 through 8. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe, here it is, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. That, that really is worship. Recognizing Attributing the honor that God alone is due. And again, what is he saying? The, Jesus here in Matthew 15 is, is also saying that, that worship involves action. It involves right action. In vain do they worship me. Simply, simply performing words with your lips 
won't do. And you see it on your handout. Worship throughout biblical history always involved action. Action, a life that backed it up. The, the main word used for worship, it, it means bow down. It means to kiss the hand. An action, recognizing honor, recognizing reverence, recognizing glory due to another individual. But what we see here in Matthew 15 is the, is the connection. And, and again, we're going to look at three things, and all of them are very connected. I, they, they can't really be segmented distinctly. They all flow together. But true worship, what he's telling us is this. True worship cannot exist where the heart is far from God. And you see it in your handout. There is no genuine worship where feelings for God are not awakened. Where feelings for God are dead, worship is dead. And we'll get into that next week, Lord willing, with John 4 talking about spirit and truth. There's a danger there. It's not all about feelings, but there, it ought to involve feelings. There ought to be feelings for God. Not just going through the motions, not just thinking God is honored simply because we showed up this morning, or that, that God ought to be happy because we're here, or He's pleased in anything that we do, or, or again, just being here, just showing up is enough, rather than truly worshiping God from the heart. That just any old offering will do. And, and we see that if you'll turn to Malachi, I think it'll come up on the, on the boards, but Malachi chapter 1, we, we see the danger here of, of growing cold towards God, losing that sense of awe, losing that sense of, of, of reverence. And in Malachi chapter, chapter 1 verse 6, I mean, the, the challenge here in Malachi was the neglect of true worship, a sincerity they had grown cold in, in their walk. They had forgotten God's love. They had lost their sense of awe, if you will. And he says in verse 6, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. And, and you see the, the arrogance and the, just the audacity here that where, where God is playing this out with them, but, but they say, but you say, this is the question that they would say to God, how have we despised your name? It almost be like today you're saying, what do you mean, Lord, I'm here? They say, how have we despised your name? And here's the answer, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? in that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But listen to verse 8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly? Do you see what they're doing? They're offering leftovers. Interesting, in a season of leftovers, Thanksgiving, Don and I were talking this morning. I'm not a big leftovers guy for whatever reason, pride or whatever, I don't know. I don't take food home from restaurants. I don't, I don't like leftovers, uh, but Thanksgiving is the one exception. There, there are some foods that are served for Thanksgiving. It seems like they get better with, with age. Now, again, you can serve me leftovers for Thanksgiving. That's fine, but don't serve me leftovers. I say that jokingly, don't serve God leftovers, more importantly. I mean, the thought that they would get away, God had prescribed very, very clearly the, the details of what an offering was to include. It was to be the best. It was to be a spotless lamb. It was to be a, a lamb without blemish. It was to be the best. Why? Because God would offer the best. He would offer the best in His Son. He didn't offer leftovers. He offered the best. And He's saying, look, leftovers offered to God, that is, a, that, that is despising to Him. Today it might look different. Today it could have been that, 
You know what? We stayed up all night and watched the seven-overtime game between LSU and the Aggies, and we're struggling in here on three hours of sleep. I would put forth that that's offering leftovers to God. I would put forth for you that worship begins early Saturday afternoon when you start preparing your heart and mind to come in here today. And I don't think I'm being legalistic in that. I think just stumbling in here and having a mind that's clouded by lack of sleep, a mind that is clouded by... Uh, and, and again, I, I have to fight this. We sat through three and a half hours of FSU getting crushed yesterday by Florida. Don't just let it go, Chris. Let it go. But, but again, are our, are our hearts here? And I don't say, I'm, I'm, this, is, this is one thing I'm just saying for me personally. I love college football. I've had to discipline myself in being this pastor to turn the TV off and go to bed. Why? So that I try to be fresh on Sunday morning so that the Lord doesn't get leftovers. But is he worthy of that? I mean, he, he compares it here to your boss. What if, what if you stayed, out till, stayed up late every night and then stumbled into work? and tried to offer that to your boss, would he be pleased with you? What about your surgeon? If you were having surgery in the morning and he stumbled in, oh, I stayed up late till 2 o'clock watching that game last night, but I think it's going to be all right. Let's open up your brain. No, you would, you would expect that surgeon to have prepared the night before for what he's about to do. Is that fair? You would expect his heart to be in it. You would expect him to treat your surgery as the, the most important surgery he was going to do that day. And that's what, that's what God is saying here to, to his own people. You, you've, you've become so cold to me you, that you think leftovers will do. That, that literally it has become tiresome to worship. That you've become indifferent to the things of God, void of feelings, void of emotions. There are umpteen things you'd rather be doing. Listen, the challenge is ultimately, when I say God-centeredness, what's the difference here? The, the issue here is it wasn't about God, it was about them. They were withholding the best for themselves and giving God what they couldn't use anyway. You see the point? David himself said, I will not offer anything to the Lord that did not cost me. That, that's, that's implied by the, by the title sacrifice. There's a cost. They, they had, again, worshiping God had become a chore for them. And, and the, same, the same is true for us. And, and, and again, Malachi teaches us that it's possible to attend the place of worship. It's possible to go through the motions of worship. It's possible even to offer something to the Lord in worship and still not worship. For, for that to be despising to God. Think about that. That what we're doing here could be despising to God. Why? Because that's how awesome our God is. That's how great and awesome our God is. That nothing but the best will do. To, to be here this morning and have utterly no feelings towards God. And that's not worship. And you see on your handout, what makes worship authentic and genuine and pleasing to God is the awakening of our hearts with appropriate emotions. It's a response. That, that's why we're very particular about our, our lyrics of our hymns. That's why we're particular about, about being biblical in the sermon. The goal is to awaken your response. That It goes two ways. But again... Even our gathering, there's something very supernatural even that happens about the gathering because it's one thing to read about it on a page. It's another to see it in someone else's life. And when we come here and we have the opportunity to see this family or that person or this family or that person living out these verses, that's a whole different experience. That's part of the communion 
that we experience. That's part of the Hebrews 10, the encouragement that we get to see. It's an encouragement to me as I preach this to know that there are people, and I won't name them, but specific names come to my mind of people every day that are battling and battling hard in spite of tough circumstances. That encourages me. To, 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 to not only see these aren't just words, they're living this out. That's part of the beauty here. That's part of the beauty of what we do in communing together and gathering is, is, is seeing one another live this out. And there, there, even in that is a heartfelt awakening. Part of what we do here is just to give us an expression corporately, I mean a, a vehicle to corporately express our gratitude towards God. To hear people yelling during the words, that, there ought to be, that's okay. And it's okay if you don't yell. But, but there ought to be an emotion inside of you. It's okay if you raise your hands and it's okay if you don't. It's about the emotion inside of you. Because see, I could raise my hands and it not be worship and you could not raise your hands and it not be worship. It's a heart issue. It's a, a heart that's quickened and awakened to the greatness of our God. There, there ought to be genuine feelings or emotions in response to the greatness of God and His glory. They're not performances. They're not drawn out. They're not for show. They're simply, simply expressions. Like when we, we went home, we went to Tallahassee for Thanksgiving. It was our year to go to Tallahassee. I didn't get out of the car. I haven't seen my parents in quite some time. I didn't get out of the car and I go, oh, I got to hug my mom. No, I was excited to see my mom. I was excited to see my dad. I was excited to go over to my cousin Everett's house and visit with them and my family for Thanksgiving. There were emotions there. Way beyond the food, way beyond all the other stuff. There were emotions, they're family. And our hearts, if, if worship is going to be worship, our hearts have got to be engaged if it's going to be accepted. Not just going through the motions, not just again thinking that God is pleased or, or, or fooled just by us being here this morning. So, so I ask you, how is your heart this morning? What feelings towards God did you come in here with this morning? What, what consumed your heart this morning with regards to God's greatness? Were you overwhelmed this morning by God's greatness in spite of your circumstances? Or maybe for some of us, we would admit that our emotions for God are dead. Was your worship God-centered? Or was your worship self-centered? Were you thinking during the lyrics, oh, it's not, I don't like that song, or I don't like that beat, or you know what, they missed that intro? Or, or were you just overwhelmed with the greatness of God? Because listen, the, the audience here is God. He's the audience. We're here for Him. We're here to make much of Him. Hearts that are engaged. Hearts that are full of God's greatness. But not only hearts that are full of God's greatness or else worship is in vain, but worship is in vain when our minds are more focused on self rather than centered on making much of God through our worship. In Matthew 15, verse 3, right before verses 8 and 10, Jesus condemns the Pharisees, rebukes them, because their worship was more about traditions than it was about responses. Again, subtle, not so subtle, but a danger. To, to worship simply out of tradition, to be mindless, to be on autopilot. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll confess there have been times where I've been driving someplace and when I got there, my mind was so distracted and so cluttered with other things. Like, how did I even, I'm here already? Like, what route did I take? Your mind is so filled with, and I tried to put you on peace to know you're out there driving with me, but, but you're, you're here, but your mind is not really here. Your mind is so distracted with other things. 
And, and here's the challenge. Traditions, there's a place for traditions, but traditions can be followed mechanically. They can be followed thoughtlessly. They can be followed without sincerity. They can be followed without conviction. They can be followed without the heart. They, they require no faith, no trust, no dependence on God. If you go to Matthew 6, the Pharisees did everything outwardly. They prayed, they fasted, they did everything outwardly. But listen, he says, here's, their goal was not the approval of God. It was not the praise of God. It was the approval of man. And, and Jesus says, you've received your reward in full. Their minds, their minds were not fixated on the greatness of God. It was about self, vain worship. It's very easy for us to substitute ourselves into the place of God when we worship, that we draw attention to ourselves, that we make it more about ourselves than we do about the God that we're here to worship. Worship becomes natural, it becomes routine, it becomes mindless. And we see countless examples of this in the scriptures. In Isaiah chapter, chapter 1, verses 11 through 15, we've, we've read it before, but it, it bears... Repeating, he says, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals. And your appointed feasts, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Isaiah is writing to a people, so you understand the consequence, the, the context rather, that, that, that lacked loyalty. They, they, they thought they could live one way here and live a different way here. They thought that they could worship God any way they pleased, that they could live any way they pleased, and at the end of the day, they could just come to God and worship however they wanted, and everything would be fine. And that's, that's a real danger for you and I, to live however we want to live during the week, and then think, we'll come on Sunday, and everything will be fine. That all of a sudden, we'll stoke up great emotion on Sunday and fervor for God that's been lacking all week, and that's not fine. That's why we said last week, whole life worship. You go over to, to Amos chapter 5, and, and, and Amos is dealing with the very similar things. In chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, I hate, I reject your festivals, nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings or your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps. Look at what he says. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. What is he saying? You cannot segregate what we do here and what you do the rest of the week. What, how we live the rest of the week overflows into our worship today. And what we do today is to overflow in the rest of the week. And, and the context of Amos is just as real then as it is today. The context was that Israel had become worship. They had begun worshiping God alongside every other so-called God. The, the theological term would be religious syncretism, if you will. That God was just one more God. That he was just up there with materialism and, and this God and that God and this God and this God and this God. And they were all there to be worshiped. Blend them all together to think that, you know what, I'm not, I'm not neglecting God. I'm just serving Him alongside every other God. And to think that God was okay with that. And again, like we said a couple weeks ago, our God is unique and that He had lost His uniqueness in their worship. They were fixated on externals. Again, but He says, let justice roll down like waters in righteousness. Outwardly they worshiped. When it came time, they worshipped, but the rest of the week, there was no justice in their life. There was no mercy. There was no righteous character being displayed the rest of the week. They had disconnected their lives from God. 
They had disconnected their lives from their redemption. They had disconnected for them. They had forgotten their exodus. The same reality is true for you and I to forget, believer, our exodus. To be, to be mindless. We see this as well in, in Hosea chapter 6. Same thing. They lacked, they lacked mindfulness, just going, just going through the motions. For I delight, and look at, listen to what he says in Hosea 6, 6. For I delight, he starts in verse 4, he talks about loyalty. He says, their loyalty is like the morning cloud and like the dew that goes away early. He says in verse 6, For I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. You see what worship is? Worship, worship is loyalty to God. Whole life loyalty. Mindfulness. It's a private and a public life that aligns. It's whole life. And you see on your handout, we cannot truly worship what we do not know. There's got to be a mindfulness to it. You know, and not this out of, it's not, some, God is not some genie that we have no relationship with except when we need him. He, he's not somebody that we just disregard all week and then we're going to conjure up some emotions on Sunday and think that he's pleased. He's not a good luck charm. He's not, something you, he's not someone you interact with only when you're in peril or in danger and need. Not an out of sight, eye to mind. That's not worship. It's not going through the motions. It, and the point is, it's not mindless. Imagine, and, and I'll try to illustrate this. I was thinking, how do I illustrate this? Uh, imagine, imagine if you received, uh, wives, imagine if you received flowers from your husband every month or every week, whatever it was. Every week, you got it. just, they delivered to the office, they delivered to your house, whatever it was, these flowers. And you think, man, that guy, he's thinking about me. That's great. Week after week after week, flowers every Tuesday. But imagine, imagine you discovered that, that he had set up an automated schedule so that every Tuesday the florist automatically sent flowers to you. Imagine if it was the florist who was actually picking out the flowers. Let me, let me ask you this. When those flowers came that next Tuesday, how would they be received? I, I dare say for many of you, you'd rather, you'd rather not get them. You know why? Because it's vain. It's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. The reality is he gave no thought about you. He didn't pick them out. He gave zero effort. But the external was there. You got flowers. But the meaning behind the flowers was empty. The flowers were supposed to say, I'm thinking about you. You mean the world to me. I love you. You see what I'm saying? But the flowers were vain because that's not what they did. Now, husbands, if you do this, I'm sorry. Spoil the punch here. But you see the point? You wouldn't feel loved. Those flowers showed up anymore and you knew that. You wouldn't feel loved. You wouldn't feel cherished. The reality is the fact that you knew that he didn't have anything to do with them except setting up an automated system, it would diminish the value of that gift. You'd rather, I promise you, many of you would probably rather never have gotten them. Because actually it would be a reminder that he's not thinking of you. The, the flowers are supposed to be an expression of a reality. But if the expression doesn't back up the reality, the expression is worthless. It's vain. And, and my fear is that, again, that's I, I, just being perfectly honest with you, that's why I struggle even with the online giving. We have it, but I struggle mightily with it. Because personally, this is just me, again, me, to set up something where every two weeks a check gets sent to the church that I don't have, I don't even think about. 
for me personally that I struggle with is that worship because in a sense it's mindless. To me, it, it, just for me. And, and again, for some of us, we walk in here, we find our seats, we bow our heads, we sing some songs, we even open up our Bibles, but all the while our minds never become fixed on God, our minds don't gravitate to God, our minds aren't overwhelmed with the greatness of God. Even worse, our minds are in other places. Our minds are thinking about who the Bucks play today and who's starting at quarterback and what is this and what about this and what's for lunch and where are we going to... That's not worship. It's not worship. And, and even the greater tragedy, if you look at... We won't go there, but if you look at 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, the greater tragedy is that unsaved people would come in here and they would watch us do this and they would walk away less than enamored with the greatness of our God because of how la the lack of enamored we are with our God. And if you went to 1 Corinthians 12, that's what he says in there, that they ought to, they may not, but an unsaved person ought to be, if they're in our presence, even if they do not believe what we believe, they ought to look at us and say, they believe what they believe. That's the reality. But they, an unsaved person walks in here and sees a bunch of people just going through the motions and lack of emotion. and duh, duh. They walk out and they're, how moved are they? How drawn are they? And you see it on your handout. Anyone watching our worship ought to walk away thinking that we're blown away by the awesomeness of our God. And, and in that, they, they would be drawn to Him as well through that. So, so I ask you, you know, what thoughts come to your mind when you think about God? How big a God do you serve? Does, your, does the world, how big a God does the world see you worshiping and serving? Is your mind fixated on the greatness of God this morning? Or is it on other things? Is, is it distracted by other things this morning? And if God's going to accept our worship, it's got to be heartfelt, it's got to be mindful. But, but thirdly, worship is in vain when our wills are more focused on self than centered on making much of God. And this one, this one I struggled with because it can be tricky. It can be very difficult to diagnose. It looks very right on the outside. But, but here's the danger. The focus for us ceases to be upon God and it starts to be on what we're giving to God. And, and let me explain. If you were to look up the definition of vain, and, and this is kind of what got me started as I studied these words. Another definition of vain is this. Listen to this. Showing undue pride and preoccupation in your own appearance. Showing Undue pride and preoccupation in your own appearance. And I thought about, I thought about Leviticus. In, in Leviticus 17, we see very specific instructions about how things were to be done. You know, that the lamb was not just to be, it was to be sacrificed. It wasn't just to be slaughtered. It was to be sacrificed. There was intentionality. There was mindfulness to it. And in, and in Exodus chapter 30, if you want to go there, it may come up on the screens. Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 through 38. Let me read these real quick to try to paint this picture about thoughtfulness and carefulness and intentionality. The Lord said to Moses, Take for yourself spices, stacti and anika and galbanum, spices with pure frankincense. There shall be an equal part of each. With it you shall make incense of perfume, the work of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. You shall beat some of it very fine and put, it, and put part of it before the testimony of the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. The incense which you shall make, you shall not make in the same proportions for yourselves. It shall be holy to you for the Lord. Whoever shall make any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people." You say, now, Chris, what does that mean? L look at verses 37 and 38 specifically. God, said, God described this. He had designed this for it to be totally about Him. Totally about Him. 
And look what he says. The tendency, the, 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 the warning maybe. He says, it shall be holy to the Lord. Do not make it in the same proportions for yourselves. It shall be holy to the Lord. Whoever shall make any like it to use his perfume shall be cut off from among his people. Here's what he's saying. Our worship cannot be about us and God at the same time. To, to, to put it in practical terms from Exodus 30, he's saying, if you take any of that perfume and you dab it on your chin or wherever you put perfume, if you use a, even the slightest bit for yourself and not for the Lord, I'm having none of it. This is Isaiah 42. I'm not sharing my glory with anyone. Our worship is to be so unique, so holy, so set apart from everything else we do. Totally unique from everything else. And the temptation is for us, for us to make it about ourselves, at least in part, rather than it being totally about God. The danger, is again, is to make it about ourselves. And our minds, our wills, have to be totally engaged in this. This is about the Lord. And I thought last night, as I was reviewing the sermon, I thought about, actually, as I was driving home last night from Tallahassee, 2 Corinthians 8 came to my mind about just worship. And listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians 8. In, in contrast to stealing a little bit for yourself, listen to what 2 Corinthians 8 says. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God. You see how it flows from redemption? flows from grace, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. Do you see how redemption overflowed in the rest of their lives? The grace of God overflowed, even in their deep poverty. Listen to what it says. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability... They gave of their own accord. Do you see how their wills were involved here? They wanted to do this. Why? Because they were in awe of the grace of God. Begging, listen, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They were begging to help. They were begging for the opportunity to help one another. According to their ability, beyond their ability. Good times, bad times. Why? Because they first had given themselves to the Lord. It's an overflow. Look, look at chapter 9. This I say, he who so, verse 6, This I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must do, here it is, just as he has purposed in his heart. Again, your will, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not, not Again, worship is in vain, you see it on your handout, when the focus and attention ceases to be on God and instead begins to be on the appearances. And here's what, here's, again, like I said, this is subtle, but th this is where it could look today. Questions like this. Is our singing worthily to the Lord? Does, does everybody know their part perfectly? Is the sound just perfect? Are the lights just perfect? Are people reacting? It becomes performance-based. It becomes conjured up. It becomes about externals. There's not, listen, the Lord is worthy of excellence. Daniel and his team, me, whoever, you ought to offer excellence. But, it's, but listen, it's primarily about the Lord. I've been in places in worship where the sound was pitiful. The musicians were pitiful. And yet worshiped like never before. Why? Because the hearts of those people were right where they ought to be. The minds of those people were fixed on God. The wills. I mean, I, I, we were in Cuba in the middle of nowhere one evening, and people had walked 24 hours to come worship. You think they cared about the lights? You think they cared about the piano or the, the guitar or the drums? 
You know what they cared about? You know what would move somebody to walk 20 hours to come worship with their brothers? A heart that's enamored with God. I'm not saying we shouldn't strive for excellence. But if we're not careful, it can become more about the performance than it is about the God to whom we're performing for and offering to. Is the sound right? Is there, is there echo in here? Is there this? Is there that? Listen, that's fine, but that can't take the place of our great God. And suddenly the shift begins to be about, are people going to come in here and think we did it awesome? Well, listen, what they ought to be enamored with is our hearts towards God. There ought to be a sense in this place that we're a bunch of people that love God more than anything else and can't wait to praise Him. Not because the guitar guy was awesome. And you're awesome. You, you did a great job. I didn't pick you out on purpose. He's a guest, too, so I've got to be real careful. You know? Did David Betancourt, he came in a little early, just threw the whole thing off, you know? God is worthy of excellence, but he, 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 we can't focus on that to the point where God is displaced. We can go hire the best musicians in the world and come in here and put on a concert with you, and all the while they don't care about the things of the Lord. God doesn't receive that as worship. Are your mind, is your mind, is your heart engaged in the greatness of God? The primary focus can subtly become man-centered on quality. And that can override the fact that is your heart enamored with God? Is your mind full of a knowledge of God? And if we're not careful, the whole thing can become a waste of time. Again, the, the Exodus 32, right God, wrong way to worship in the golden calf. They've reduced the greatness of God to an image. That's the problem. God's greatness can't be reduced to an image. Uh, we were at a craft fair the other day, and there was a whole table of images of God and, and that. And this lady said, oh, only $5. Don't you want one? And it was all I could do. I had to bite my tongue to not engage her in a conversation. I, I literally had to bite my tongue. She's begging me to give her $5 for a picture of Jesus so I could worship. I mean, I, I, I wanted to ask her, say, is that really what he looked like? How do you know that's what he looked like? You see him? You talk to him? I mean, listen, God's greatness can't be reduced to an image. That's why we don't respond to images that way. And you see on your handout, the issue might not be with the object of our worship, but with the manner of it. Right God, wrong ways. And we, could be, we begin to compete with God's glory. Self-styled worship. And you sit on your handout, self-styled worship is unacceptable to God regardless of our good intentions. God will not share His glory with another. And our worship must be God-centered. Regardless of our good intentions, regardless of our motives. The, the offering, you see it there, is not the focus, but rather our great God is the focus. And He is, again, millions of dollars. And I say this, we just painted and we're doing some things. We're trying to maximize the use of this building. So hear my heart here. I think you know my heart. I'm not doing this so people will like us more. I'm doing this because I'm trying to maximize this building, but millions of dollars are being spent on lights and smoke and atmosphere and aesthetics. And, and, and listen, that can't overwhelm a heart that doesn't care about God. What ought, what ought to draw a people to, a, to a, a church, a group of people, is their hearts to God. Not because they have great musicians. No, they, they serve a great God. And it's a group of people who are enamored and in awe of that great God. I mean, if you need me to walk out in smoke, I mean, if you need me to wear cool jeans in order to listen to me, listen, that's self-styled worship. Man, is, man becomes the focus. Man becomes the focus. God takes, and again, that's why I say it can be very hard to diagnose, but suddenly God is set aside and man becomes the focal point. Man becomes the focal point. 
And I thought about it as we closed. I mean, imagine if I told Karen the only way, or if, imagine if I told her the only way that we're going out to eat is if we go to, rest, if we go to Bonefish. I mean, imagine that if the only way I could go out to dinner or take her out on a date was to Bonefish. Now, I mean, we go to Bonefish every now and then when we have a gift card. I mean, if that were the issue, we would be in serious trouble. I mean, if that is how you measured my devotion for her, we would be in trouble. I mean, we've picked out restaurants that we've eaten based on the diners, drives, and whatever. Like, that restaurant looks terrible. Let's try it. I mean, our first date, we ate at Arby's. Hello. Set the bar low. Got places to go. My point is this. I love Karen. The, the point of going out to eat with her is, is her. The, the opposite would be this. I, I could take her to Burns Steakhouse and spend the whole time we were there on my phone taking calls and responding to emails and she could brag on Facebook, me and my husband are at Burns having a great time. And all the while, I didn't engage her for one second. You see the difference? And to the world, Chris loves his wife. Well, there it burns. But my mind is somewhere else. My heart is somewhere else. And in that sense, now she wouldn't say this, but she'd rather go to Arby's. She hates Arby's. If you own an Arby's franchise out there, forgive me. Forgive me. I like it. She doesn't like it. But th- listen, she would have rather, or sh- I would say this, she'd have rather not gone at Arby's. At, she would not have rather gone out at all if I'm not going to be there. If I'm not going to be engaged. I-, I would argue that that would have been offensive for her to me to think that she's pacified by me just going through the motions and taking her out if I really didn't want to be there. And the essence, what I'm trying to say is the essence of worship is a deep, heartfelt satisfaction in God. Not in our performance, not in what people are going to think about us. It's the pursuit of God. And again, God is the audience, you see it there. And I pray that we do nothing here that competes with drawing attention to God. Even good things. Listen, I got to say this carefully, but we're not, we're not gathered here to raise money. We're not here to attract crowds. We're not here to heal hurts. We're not here to heal marriages. We're not here to teach our... We're doing not, not, that is not our priority. We're here to introduce you to God. We're here to make much of God. Listen, I would argue if we do that rightly, those other things will take care of themselves. But what we need more than anything is a big view of God. Because we can do all those other things and miss a great view of God. Six steps to this, four steps to this, three steps. No, what we need is God. I mean, imagine me saying to Karen, I love you so that you will make me a nice meal. Imagine that. That, That's not, guys, how delight works. Delight is only attentive to the one in whom you delight. It's not about anything that you can get. It's about the one that you delight in. If I, if I, if I come to Karen and make a move in that direction in order to get something, that's not delight. Who am I ultimately thinking about? Myself. Myself. And I pray that we would be totally satisfied in God alone. That He would be the goal. To be sure, pursue quality. To be sure, you know, marriages, children, all those things would be impacted. But listen, God is the focus. So I ask you as we close, how's your heart? How's your mind? How's your will? Are they engaged? Were they excited to gather this morning with fellow believers? Were you excited this morning to publicly make a statement about 
to the world about what God is doing in this Odessa, Lutz, Land Lakes, Newport Ritchie area, that God is pulling sinners from the grip of hell and redeeming them. That's what this is a picture of. That's what this room right here is a picture of. God's working in people's lives. Redemption. Was it a joy? Was it a burden? Was it fruitful? Was our worship fruitful or was it vain? And let God deal with that accordingly. When we gather, I pray that God would be worshipped. I pray that God would be glorified. That the world would see the awesomeness of our God in us. That our worship would not be in vain.